I'd like to begin by exploring a word that people use in churches quite a lot. The word is calling. When we speak of Christian calling, we're talking about our vocation or a sense of purpose that we have in our lives that we feel has been given to us directly from God. Now when you hear about calling, you might instantly start to think about the minister of the church. And it's true, I believe that God has called me to ministry. And five years ago, many of you in this room had a part in discerning God's call on my life to bring me to this church on Isla. I do believe that God has called me and it is the greatest privilege of my life. But having a calling is not just the preserve of religious professionals. The Bible shows us that we all have a calling placed upon our lives. When we come to know the love of Jesus and are welcomed into God's family, we are called into service as the Lord brings his kingdom to earth. God calls each one of us to live for him in our everyday surroundings. At different moments in our lives, that call can become quite specific as God leads us into new areas and new opportunities. I am aware of at least three families in the church who believe God has specifically called them to Isla in the last few years. Last week, we witnessed Kevin and Donna answer God's call on their lives to get baptised. Currently, we have people discerning whether God is calling them to become church members or deacons of the church. Once a fortnight, I do a Zoom Bible study with some of our students. It's a great privilege to walk with them as they seek to work out what career God is calling them into. Others in the church have recently changed jobs or joined new social groups as they discern God calling them in to new areas of service and places of work. And sometimes God's call can be as simple as that little prod in our spirit to pick up the phone and call someone, to invite a neighbour to church, or to look for an opportunity to tell a friend about Jesus. God really does have a calling for us all, and we will all hear it in different ways, in different areas of our lives. But when it comes, the question we are left with will always be the same. How are we going to respond? Sometimes God calls us to step out of our comfort zones. Sometimes we're called to do things that on a rational level don't seem to make much sense. Sometimes when God calls, there's a considerable cost involved. But in every situation, we will need to choose. Are we going to be obedient or disobedient to what we feel God has asked of us? 150 years ago, Hudson Taylor founded the China Inland Mission. 
He felt called by God to share the love of Jesus in a country that as yet largely did not know him. Now to travel to China and work for the gospel in those days involved considerable risk to life. Let alone isolation from family and friends in the days before internet and Zoom. Hudson Taylor also faced the problem of how he would provide for himself as he had pitiful resources at his disposal. In those challenging moments, as Hudson Taylor weighed up how he was going to respond to God's call, he wrote this. There are plenty of ravens in China, and the Lord could send them again with bread and flesh. Depend upon it. God's work, done in God's way, will never lack God's supplies. In that quote, Hudson Taylor was drawing upon the opening to the story of Elijah. A story that, as we shall now see, is all about obedience in responding to God's call. The promise of the Bible is, is that if we step out in faith like Elijah and like Hudson Taylor did, God will provide everything we need. Elijah went on to become the Old Testament prophet most referred to in the New Testament, a great hero of the faith. Hudson Taylor went on to become one of the most influential missionaries of all time. I wonder what God will achieve through us if we're obedient to his call. Let's think for a moment then about the call that was placed on Elijah's life. When reading 1 Kings, we quickly become aware that it was both a daunting and an unexpected one. Our opening verse said this. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. In many ways, Elijah was the last person you would have expected to find in a royal court issuing a direct challenge to a corrupt king. That verse tells us that he came from Gilead the rugged highland country to the east of the River Jordan. This was a wild and forested territory where little grain would grow and any living had to be eked out from undernourished livestock. Life in Gilead was simple and plain, very different from the luxury of Samaria where King Ahab lived. But to make Elijah even more inconspicuous, he was not even a native of Gilead. He was an immigrant who had at some point settled there, presumably with nowhere better to go. That is what the word Tishbite means. It means settler. Elijah then was a non-Israelite who over time had come to worship Israel's God. That is literally all we know about Elijah's background. But from just those sparse details, we can see that Elijah came from relative obscurity. It's very unlikely that he'd have had any meaningful education. We don't know his level of literacy, but he was certainly no priest or academic or royal advisor. 
At first glance then, Elijah was as stern and as rugged as the country that he came from. With no further introduction, we find him blazing into the court of the evil king. But that is not to say that Elijah had no feeling. As we read on in Elijah's story over the next few weeks, we will discover that he was a man that exhibited real vulnerability. Indeed, he was a man just like us. Elijah was subject to fluctuations in his spirit. At times he was gripped by depressive moods. He was prone to discouragement. He was beset by self-pity at times. In no way was Elijah a superhero. In fact, quite the opposite. Perhaps he was the last person you would expect God to call. But despite all this, God knew Elijah had the character that made him perfect for the task. Elijah was humble, he was loyal, and above all, he was obedient. Now we don't know how this uneducated, vulnerable immigrant ended up confronting the great king of Israel. We don't know if he heard God's voice directly or whether he just saw the immorality of Ahab and decided that enough was enough. Either way, the silence before verse 1 highlights Elijah's obedience. He simply went. Elijah's name means the Lord's my God. And that was the essence of his life. So Elijah's call was somewhat unexpected, but it was also incredibly daunting. King Ahab is recorded in scripture as the most ungodly king of Israel that had ever lived. Not only was he arrogant and power mad, but he was infatuated by a foreign woman. And in the end, he married her, taking on all her false gods. Just listen to how Ahab is described in 1 Kings 16. Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, but he also married Jezebel daughter of the king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord than did all the kings of Israel before him. Ahab then was leading the whole nation astray largely out of his own greed and lust for his future wife. He was leading Israel into idolatry, which if you've read any of the Old Testament, you will know is a direct disobedience of the Ten Commandments and a course for disaster. And this terrible behaviour is about to get vigorously called out. On arrival in the royal court, Elijah directly confronts Ahab. He begins... As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives. This is something Ahab had evidently forgotten, or at least he was acting as though God didn't live. Elijah then follows that announcement that this is the God who he serves. Now this statement is dripping with irony. Because in ancient Israel, it was the king who was supposed to serve God as his official representative. 
It was the king who was supposed to serve the people and lead them in faithfulness and channel God's blessing to them. By opening as he does, Elijah effectively declares, You are not doing this, Ahab. So now I serve God here in this place. And then Elijah announces his terrible news. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Now this was a direct challenge of the false gods that Ahab had begun to worship. Because Baal was believed to be the rider of the clouds, the master of rain and fertility and riches. And the next few years we're going to prove to Ahab and the whole of Israel that Baal was no god at all. He wouldn't be able to produce even a drop of water for the barren land. Only the Lord could do this. Now we will look more at that over the coming weeks. But for now, let's just notice the incredible courage Elijah demonstrates in his confrontation with the king. He bowls up from nowhere and pulls no punches. He fiercely critiques Ahab's reign and denounces his gods. We can only imagine how this would go down if someone said something similar to one of the world's tyrant dictators today. Imagine someone saying this before Putin or the Taliban in Afghanistan. They'd be imprisoned or dead within minutes. Elijah also must have been afraid, daunted under the weight of this call to challenge the king of Israel. But incredibly, he still went through with what God asked of him. And the wonderful thing is what we see God do in response. As Elijah steps out in faith, God immediately steps in to protect and provide for him. After delivering his message in verses 2 to 6, God instructs Elijah to flee and hide in the Kerith ravine. And while there, God will refresh him from a brook and miraculously feed him with ravens. What an incredible display of power this is. What an act of kindness and forethought. God had unexpectedly called Elijah to an incredibly daunting task. And to his great credit, Elijah had obediently done what was asked of him. Elijah was now utterly dependent on God for his protection. And in that place of humility and trust, God would indeed look after him. In these opening six verses, then, we've seen the main lesson for us from Elijah's life. Whenever we place ourselves obediently into God's hands, whenever we try and answer the call that he has placed on our lives, no matter how frail or vulnerable that makes us feel, we can rest assured that God has got us in the palm of his hands. He'll provide for our needs and he will achieve to us more than we ever dared imagine. Now the second half of the chapter continues to emphasize the exact same message. God will provide for those who step out in faith 
for him. As the impact of the drought deepens, the brook dries up and God has a new call for Elijah. He is to go to Zarephath in Sidon. Now Sidon is the home territory of Ahab's wicked queen, Jezebel. Indeed, her father rules there. This is the very place that the terrible Baal worship came from. So this is perhaps the last place that Elijah would have wanted to travel to. And what is more, when he gets to this seemingly godless place, the Lord tells Elijah that he's going to be fed by a pagan widow who herself is facing starvation. Now this is a very bold call, to say the least. To obey this took some nerve. But again, Elijah demonstrates the faith that evil King Ahab refused to live by. In response to this second difficult call on his life, verse 10 abruptly says, So he went. So he went. In Elijah's interaction with the widow, the moral that runs right through this opening chapter of his life is again played out. Like Elijah, the widow is asked to give everything that she has to the work of God. She is to give the very last of her flour and oil and bake Elijah some bread. Presumably trusting in his past experiences, Elijah urges the widow not to be afraid in verse 13. For he knows if she steps out in faith wholeheartedly in this way, God will step in. And you know, this is a principle that runs right throughout Scripture. The Lord never asks for more than he promises to give. Often in life we try to bargain with God. We'll say in our prayers something like, Lord, if you give X to me, then I'll do Y for you. If you give me this thing I want, then I might try and serve you here. But actually, it's the other way around. The Bible shows us time and time again that as we step out for God, then he steps in and provides for what we need. As I said to the children earlier, this is exactly what happened here in our building project just a few years ago. And this also turns out to be what happens with the widow. As she gives the last of her flour and oil to feed Elijah, God sees to it that her flour and oil do not run out. Again, one person's trustful obedience provides the opportunity for God to do something amazing. Here the Lord provides for a pagan outsider who in an act of faith risked her life following God's call. We do, however, need to be a little bit careful with this teaching. We must not give the wrong impression or lead people to be naive. The promise of God's provision is no prosperity gospel. Following God's call does not always immediately lead to blessing. Very often there will be challenges, even severe challenges, as we make our way through life trying to follow God's call. And we see this at the end of the chapter, when the widow's son becomes ill and stops breathing. 
Her heartbroken response is to think that Elijah must have caused this tragedy as punishment for her sin. That's a common assumption, isn't it? Even today we say things like, what have I done to deserve this? But the Bible rejects that logic. Sometimes there is undeserved suffering in life. Sometimes bad things do happen to good people as part of living in a fallen world. But the truth is God can still use that suffering for his purposes. From a human point of view, much of our suffering is inexplainable. Elijah himself clearly had no idea why this tragedy had struck. Listen to his prayer in verse 20. Elijah cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Just like all of us at times, Elijah is bewildered and angry with God. Yet ultimately he still does the right thing. He took those emotions to the Lord and he prayed. He prayed earnestly, stretching himself out on the body, which in Jewish eyes would have made him unclean. Elijah is seemingly praying in this posture that if God sees fit, he takes his life rather than the life of the boy. Another example of Elijah's incredible, humble loyalty. And of course, wonderfully, God hears this prayer and in verse 22, he raises the son to life. Now, this is not a promise that God will always do this. Death was only finally defeated by Jesus dying in our place and then rising again as we celebrated last week. But it does show us the potential that always lies in God's hands and why we should keep turning to him in prayer. In the context of Elijah's life, it demonstrates once more that both he and the widow had made the right decision. On hearing God's call, they'd stepped out in obedience and God had again vindicated that choice. On seeing the miracle, the woman exclaims to Elijah, Now I know you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. It's an exquisite irony. The chapter began with Israel's king ignoring God's word and worshipping pagan gods. The chapter ends with a pagan woman trusting God's word and worshipping the one true king. Such great turnarounds happen when God's people step out in faith and bring their difficulties to the Lord in prayer. Elijah may have lived nearly 3,000 years ago, but I believe we learn some very important things from this chapter for our lives today. First of all, God truly knows what he is doing. When he calls us, it's with real purpose. He knows why he's chosen us. He knows that we're capable of the task at hand. Second, when God calls us, he promises to protect and provide all that we need to live that calling out. It doesn't mean that life will always be easy. There will be great challenges on the way. But through whatever comes, God promises to remain there with us. And we can always call on him in prayer when we need him. 
Ultimately, if we choose to be obedient to God's call on our lives, we receive the great privilege of seeing God work and the benefit that has for the people around us. So I wonder, how might God be calling us at this time? I wonder where he wants us to represent him. What good does he want us to do? What evil does he want us to challenge? And what of our talents and resources does he want us to give like the widow did? Even if it's a daunting call and we think ourselves the last person that should be asked, let's try and be obedient like Elijah and the widow were. For amazing things will happen if we are.